I tell you, the study that we are about to embark on is one that is so rich and so exciting that I think you're absolutely going to love it. So I wanted to share with you tonight just a quick little overview to sort of whet your appetite for about for what we are about to dig into. This semester, we are studying, as Dana said, Genesis 37 through 50. That will complete our Bible study trilogy, which began with a study in Genesis chapter 1, which was entitled The Beginning. And then we moved on to what was the blessing, and we looked at the life of Abraham. And now we are moving into what is called the belonging, the belonging. And so, ladies, if you are here tonight, if any one of you is here tonight, and you feel like you do not belong, may I tell you that over the next 10 weeks... It is our prayer that you will see that you do belong, that you do belong. You are welcome at this table to come in and enjoy the community of Christ in this place. And so, sweet ones, I just want to tell you that as we look at the belonging, we will be tracing the lives uh, of, of Isaac and of Joseph and of Judah through this study together. And we look at the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is through this lineage that the promised Messiah will come. And so the study that we have prepared for you, I think is going to be so meaningful and I pray will be a great blessing to you. You will remember that God just plucked Abraham out. He called Abraham out to himself. Abraham was an idol worshiper from generations of idol worshipers. He was in a heathen nation and God called Abraham unto himself and Abraham responded by faith and he and Sarah began this great adventure uh, with the Lord Jesus walking with the Lord. And so he uh, began to work through his life, building a nation unto himself. And to Abraham, God promised to make him a great nation. God promised to make him a blessing and to bless him. God promised that through Abram, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, this was a messianic promise and prophecy. And it must have been so odd to Sarah and to Abram to hear this word from God because at that time, Abram was 75 years old. And Sarah was 10 years younger than him. But the Bible says that she was barren. So this concept, this idea that God was going to build a great nation starting with Abram, Abraham and Sarah must have seemed just so difficult for them to get their arms wrapped around. But we looked at the walk of Abraham as he grew in his faith walk with him. Well, that was a pretty powerful covenant promise, seeing as Abraham and Sarah did not have any children. But as you know the story, it would take 25 years, but God would fulfill that promise with the miraculous birth of their son, Isaac. And it became a reality in their life. Now, in our study that we're about to begin, Abraham and Sarah have already passed away. Abraham lived to be 175 and Sarah to 127. And they thought they were old at 75, uh, but they had a long life after that. 
And as our study opens, Isaac has died and Jacob has become the head of the family. The remaining chapters of Genesis are an account of God working in the life of Jacob and his 12 sons as God was building and birthing a nation out of them. A significant part of the narrative is devoted to the life of Jacob's son, Joseph. I met a lady last week and she was telling me that Joseph is her favorite Bible story in all of the Bible. And I tend to say whatever I am studying or whatever I am teaching, that is my favorite. But I just want you to know I feel strongly about Joseph. What a love story we see recounted for us. Joseph's story illustrates so beautifully the sovereignty of God and God's providential care of his people. Oh, a lesson we so desperately need in our own lives. We will see in our study themes of suffering, of being misunderstood. We will see the horrible results of favoritism in a family. We will study about rejection and jealousy, sibling rivalry, Hatred that was going to end in murder had the brothers not uh, interfered and uh, allowed uh, Joseph to be sold off to Midian traders. We're going to see even greater stories of forgiveness and redemption. Oh, beloved, so much in store for all of us. All of us will be able to relate to the seasons of Joseph's life as we learn to make practical applications that will encourage and edify us and inspire us so that we might take these great profound truths that we're going to see in our study and make them practical in our daily lives. Excuse me. In our workbook, we have added a new feature on day five, and we are calling it transformational truths. It is designed to help you and to help me take these grand truths and begin to apply them to our lives. You know that the purpose of our studies is not to make you devotees of Donna and I or of anyone on the writing team, but rather to help you learn how to study for yourself, to dig in deep to God's word, and to apply those truths to your own life. The purpose of our studies is to allow the Holy Spirit of God to turn information into revelation, which leads to transformation. Beloved, we are looking for lives that are transformed by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. Don't you want your life to be changed? I do. I do. I am telling you, I still, after walking with God for over 45 years, I still watch myself do things that I can't even believe. It stuns me sometimes. It's like, I know better than that. I learned that lesson years ago. I taught that lesson. And now just look at this. Just look at this mess that I have made of this situation. And so we are trusting that the story of Joseph, the study of it, will, beloved, encourage you and edify you, challenge you, but help you to see this incredible truth that God sees you. God knows you if you are in Christ Jesus. He knows all about you and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. 
And he is able to take even difficult situations, even seasons of great difficulty and darkness and, and, and difficult people. He is able to take all of that and work it all together for our good and for his glory. Oh, beloved, Skip Heidzik in his book, Bloodlines, said this about Joseph. God never forgot Joseph. And he never forgot his promise to Abraham or his pledge to crush the head of the serpent. Just as he orchestrated every moment that led to Joseph's reconciling with his brothers and seeing his father again, he superintends every moment of every life and all within the grander scheme of redemption. All of the knots we as humans have tied and the ones that get snarled in our past fall under God's sovereignty and none of them prevent God's scarlet thread from reaching its milestones. The formation and preservation of a people chosen by God to be his special possession and bring forth his Messiah and the ongoing work of the gospel in the heart of hundreds of millions of people down through history and on until Jesus returns. Did you catch that? God sees you. He knows you. He is at work even when it doesn't feel like he is. He is there in the wings orchestrating the details of your life. He is always at work. The Bible says God is good and he only does good for his people. We're living in challenging days, aren't we? We're watching the world unravel and fall apart. But I want to tell you that in this time, God is at work. Even though there are times and and situations that we can barely see him or sense his presence, he, beloved, is there. The final chapters in Genesis are an instruction manual that teaches us to persevere so that we might have hope in the midst of dark days, so that we might have a framework for our understanding of life on earth, and we might be prepared for the kingdom to come. When every longing of our souls will fade as we cast our eyes on the one to whom we belong. Beloved, we do not belong to this world. We are just passing through. We belong to Jesus, dear daughters of the King. And we are headed into an eternity with him where we belong. Several years ago, I had a very sore spot come up on the bottom of my foot. It looked sort of like a cyst, and it was beginning to get progressively worse. So I called up my podiatrist and asked if I could get an appointment, told them I had something wrong with my foot, wasn't sure what it was. So I went in to see this doctor, and he looked at my foot and immediately said, well, I know what that is. That is called a planter's wart. I said, excuse me, a a wart? I I have a wart on my foot? And he said, yes. I said, I don't want that. I want something else. (laughs) And he said, what's the matter with you? And I said, well, that's not a very ladylike condition to have. And I said, "Uh, 
I don't think I've stepped on any frogs lately, although that has happened to me once in my life, which is why I never go barefoot anymore. But that's a whole other story. And, and I, so I said, how did I, how did I get a wart of all things on the bottom of my foot? And this is what he said. When we walk about, the dirt of this world clings to us. About had me a little come to Jesus Pentecostal moment in the doctor's office. I was thinking, oh, that is so powerful. When we walk around, the dirt of this world clings to us. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Oh, beloved, as we gather together on Tuesdays or on Wednesday night, whichever group you are coming to, we will be studying about the life of Joseph. We will be seeing how in the scheme of things, God is constantly at work moving circumstances and and, and moving people in and out of our lives that he might fulfill his purpose for every one of us. Having recently walked through difficulties, having recently walked through a cancer journey that took over a year to be treated for and then 10 more months of recovery. And I declare I am still tired all of the time from all of that. And yet through it all, we watch the hand of God. We watch God stand strong on our behalf at every turn. I can tell you on the authority of this book, And because of the circumstances of my life, God is on the throne and he is operating and moving in every one of our lives. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And so as you come week by week, we're trusting that we can encourage all of us to look deep into God's word and to dig out those nuggets and to put them into our lives so that they might actively work in and through us by the spirit of the living God. I just want to tell you that you have five days of homework each week. Each day will... Did I say that right? Did I not say that right? You have five days of homework. Is that not right? Each week. Perhaps, I'm not sure what I said, but... I do love to hear you laugh, so I'm going to move on. Uh, It'll only take you about 20 minutes a day to do your homework. And I do want to encourage you to do your homework. And I want to encourage you as much as is possible that you would do it every day rather than waiting till Monday night or early Tuesday morning and trying to cram it all in. But having said that, beloved... We all understand that life sometimes happens in unexpected ways, especially for your young mamas with babies that are teething or up through the night or a toddler that's giving you a fit or a child that has to have a project due and make a salt map of Venezuela (laughs) or a teenager that's struggling and having a difficult time or aging parents or all of these things, work situations, all these things that might intrude and interfere. And so we get that. We understand. We still want you to come. If you don't have your homework done, the enemy's going to side up next to you and whisper in your ear, you don't want to go today. They'll all look over there and your pages are blank and they'll judge you. (laughs) And they'll think you're not a very good Christian. 
Some of them are wondering if you even are. And he will convince you not to come. So we want to encourage you to come, whether you have your homework done or not. I certainly want to encourage you to do your homework, if at all possible. But we are believing that God is going to meet with us, speak to his daughters every week, whisper into our ears, you are loved and you belong.